Good afternoon, my friends. Happy Lord's Day. This is the Tomorrow Christian reading Numbers 35 in the NLT. But first and always, we pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for church. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for communion today. Thank you for the potluck. Lord, uh, church is about life, friendship, fellowship. Um, it's about food, physical food, spiritual food, the food of the heart, the food that only comes from you, the bread and the wine that comes from the broken body of Jesus and puts us back together with you and integrates you into us and us into you. Praise your name. Thank you so much. Help us as we read your word with great joy that we may have passion and reverence and fun and peace and, and gentleness and meekness and all the things that you promised with the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Give us that peace. Help us to throw open the doors of our, our own souls, Lord, and trust you and let the Spirit in and get rid of the pride. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face. There will be no more fear because tor fear causes torment, but perfect love casts out fear. And we want to have that perfect love with you. And now we want to read your word and we want to find joy in it and find something for our lives today. And you promise you are the eternal God who does those very things. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Oh, my pastor was at his best today. He's, uh, he's getting better and better. I'm telling you, he's getting better and better. So uh, he became a member today, him and his wife, and uh, had a big cake. So we had a potluck, and man, it was a lot of fun. And more and more, I just say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me to the church. Thank you for bringing me to the Christian church. Thank you for bringing me to the church of Jesus. I did a good thing here. I wish we had a Sunday school, though. That's kind of a bee in my bonnet. I keep praying for the Sunday school. And my pastor, um, he read from Matthew 2, 1 to 12. And in Matthew 2, 1 to 12, it also highlights the fact that Matthew, who's writing, right, he's writing to the Jewish people, is actually quoting in verse 6 from the book of Micah. And, you know, the pastor admitted, you know, the book of Micah sometimes can be the dusty part of the Bible that we might not read for devotions. And he said that he also brushed up on it this week. But you know what? We got to read the whole Bible. The whole Bible is God's word. We got to read the whole thing. We got to read every little scrap of it. Okay, the Lord's coming. Okay, everybody knows the Lord is coming. He's nigh well at the door. And, you know, as we were talking, talking to some people, you know, I said, Mark Driscoll said the Antichrist is walking around this planet. Maybe he's not in, in uh, politics or leading yet, or he's not known yet, but he's here because it's a lot of stuff happening in this world. A lot of violence, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of horrible things. And everybody agreed, yes, that's true. You know, well, whatever the Antichrist is, if it's ChatGPT or Skynet or some kind of replicant Terminator robot, who knows? Um, but, but, but it's coming. Because we have to go through these things before Jesus comes back. And maybe there's a rapture and some people will get to, to, to get a, uh, um, a ticket out of here. I'd like to be one of those people. But in case it doesn't happen that way, i got to prepare for the worst case scenario where it says, Jesus says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you sanctify them with the word. And maybe that's going to happen. I don't know, but it's not for me to say. Uh, my, my pastor did say, like Mark Driscoll, he said, if anybody tells you when Jesus is coming back or, or a date or something, he says, run. And I laughed because I will always say I would never do dates. I came from a church that did dates. I know some other people have done 1903s. 1903 Perusia was a date. Jesus came back, but he was invisible. And I think there was like a evangelist guy. And he said that he, um, he was predicting a date. And then this dude got a stroke and he couldn't talk anymore. Okay, so I wouldn't want to be that guy. Jesus, Jesus says he didn't even know 
when God was, was uh, where his second coming was. He said, the angels don't know, I don't know, but only God in heaven knows. I think Jesus knows now, but that's my perfect, that's my, that's my opinion. Um, and I really have no idea. Okay. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you, but I, I do think that, you know, you look at the Bible and you say, God wrote the Bible, but we wrote the Bible, but really the Bible is one author and that's God. He wrote it through many men. I think God, Jesus is going to come back and when he does, he's going to extinctify the human race in Revelation 19:15, And I think he's going to come back when we're about to extinctify ourselves. So I would never set dates, but I would set a season. When, when it goes down where we start to kick life out, because if you don't worship God, which is life, if you don't worship Jesus, who says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you're worshiping something else. Something else is your idol. And that something else is temporal. You're worshiping death. And when the human race has so worshiped death that they're about to destroy themselves or each other, I personally think that's when Jesus comes back. Like I said, that's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. If, if you think I'm going against the pastor and Mark Driscoll, you can say I disagree completely. And I would say, you know what? I really don't know. I'm just saying it kind of for fun, but just the way things are going, because things won't get better. Things won't get better. They'll get worse. They'll get worse and worse and worse because that's what happens. The birth pangs are increasing. Um, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I want to be realistic. And then... Uh, the pastor quoted from Micah 5.2, um, Matthew uh, 2 verse 6 is quoting from Micah 5.2 and it says this, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And you know, he said the, the the leaders knew the truth. They actually knew where Jesus was going to be. They could have they could have checked. They would have said, "Oh, he's from Bethlehem." They could have known, but they didn't. They just got back to doing what they were doing. They didn't go to the they didn't go to the the stable, or they, they didn't want to. You know, um, it was uh, the shepherds went there, and then maybe the wise men went a couple of months later. But then they had found a house, right? Mary and Joseph had found a house. And then the, the, um, God told them to go uh, back to their home in a different route because Herod was gunning to kill the child. And we also read from Genesis 49, verses 8 to 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouches a lion. And as a lioness who dares rouse him, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, and he was born in Bethlehem, just like King David was born in Bethlehem. Let's read Numbers 35. While Israel was camped beside the Jordan on the plains of Moab across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to give to the Levites from their property certain towns to live in, along with the surrounding pasture lands. These towns will be for the Levites to live in, and the surrounding lands will provide pasture for their cattle, flocks, and other livestock. The pasture land assigned to the Levites around these towns will extend 1,500 feet from the town walls in every direction. Measure off 3,000 feet outside the town walls in every direction, east, south, west, north, with the town at the center. This area will serve as the larger pasture land for the towns. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge where a person who has accidentally killed someone 
can flee for safety. In addition, give them 42 other towns, 42, 14, 14, and 14, 14 times three, times time and half a time. Interesting. In all 48 towns with the surrounding pasture land will be given to the Levites. These towns will come from the property of the people of Israel. The larger tribes will give more towns to the Levites, while the smaller tribes will give fewer. Each tribe will give property in proportion to the size of its land. Cities of refuge. So the first little bit was towns for the Levites, one to six, and they were the priests. They didn't, they didn't really have their own lands, but God is giving them, um, God is giving them towns. Now this one is cities of refuge. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instruction to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan into the Isle, land of Canaan, designate towns of refuge to which people can flee if they have killed someone accidentally. These cities will be places of protection from a dead person's relatives who want to avenge the death. The slayer must not be put to death before being tried by the community. Designate six cities of refuge for yourselves. Six cities. That's interesting. Six days of creation, six cities. Uh, three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west in the land of Canaan. So I guess three was for the tribes that stayed on the east of Jordan and three were uh, for the tribes that went across and crossed into Canaan, which was supposed to be the promised land. These cities are for the protection of Israelites, foreigners living among you and traveling merchants. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. But if someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it is murder, and the murderer must be executed. Or if someone with a stone in his hand strikes and kills another person, it is murder, and the murderer must be put to death. Or if someone strikes and kills another person with a wooden object, it is murder, and the murderer must be put to death. So it's like eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But God is defining what is murder and what is by accident. The victim's nearest relative is responsible for putting the murderer to death. When they meet, the avenger must put the murderer to death. So if someone hates another person and pushes him or throws a dangerous object at him and he dies, it is murder. Or if someone hates another person and hits him with a fist and he dies, it is murder. In such cases, the avenger must put the murderer to death when they meet. So I, I think this is God's way of saying, just don't do that. Just don't do it so you don't have to put, so you don't, um, so you, ha you won't have to be put through this and you don't have to be killed. And it's also saving the person, the relatives, of the person you've killed or put, would potentially kill because you hate them from having to do that to you, right? God is trying to bring connections here, right? Connections, relationships, but he's doing it through law. But suppose someone pushes another person without having shown previous hostility or throws something that unintentionally hits another person or accidentally drops a huge stone on someone, though they were not enemies and the person dies, if this should happen, the community must follow these regulations in making a judgment between the slayer and the avenger, the victim's nearest relative. The community must protect the slayer from the avenger and must escort the slayer back to live in the city of refuge to which he fled. There he must remain until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the sacred oil. But if, but if the slayer ever leaves the limits of the city of refuge and the avenger finds him outside the city and kills him, it will not be considered murder. The slayer should have stayed inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer may return to his own property. So I don't know, the city of refuge almost sounds like a prison. You have to go there and that's the way you're protected. Like it, it, may, it may be a city, but you know, it's, it's like a prison, but it's still a city. 
These are legal requirements for you to observe from generation to generation, wherever you may live. All murderers must be put to death, but only if evidence is presented by more than one witness. No one may be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Also, you must never accept a ransom payment for the life of someone judged guilty of murder and subject to execution. Murderers must always be put to death. God does not like murder, right? Thou shalt not kill is thou shalt not murder. And never accept a ransom payment from someone who has fled to a city of refuge, allowing a slayer to return to his property before the death of the high priest. This will ensure that the land where you live will not be polluted, for murder pollutes the land, and no sacrifice except the execution of the murderer can purify the land for murder. You must not defile the land where you live, for I live there myself. I am the Lord who lives among the people of Israel. So by defiling yourself, by defiling yourself with sins, you're defiling the land where you live. <coughs> Excuse me. Because God lives there too. God is holy. We must be holy people. We must be sanctified people. We must be a peculiar people in the world, but not of the world. I hope you got something out of this. I know I did. Thanks for listening always. Take care and God bless.